everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Revel Revel. Today we go international. We're talking to our first international guest and get to have a more worldly perspective, which is always a good thing as we dig deeper into how this whole crazy universe works. So please welcome Joanne Longanilla. Welcome to Revel Revel. Today I have Joanne Longanilla, and she is my longtime friend that I know from Mount Carmel in San Diego. And she is joining me today from her apartment in Spain. What part of Spain again? Alicante and um, Albir specifically, but Alicante region. And how long have you lived there? We have been here, I would say, probably the last um, almost two years, but we were in. Alicante city for the first year and a half. So total about almost, yeah, almost four years. And you live there because this is where your partner is from originally? Correct. He is Spanish, although we did not meet in Spain. So uh, we initially met in India and then he brought me over <laughs> and I never left. <laughs> so as you know, the theme of the podcast is details and life stories, especially when you dig through, you find weird coincidences, fate, whatever you want to call it. Do you have a story behind how you met Ernesto? Yeah. Um, I, and I love that this is your theme. I love that this is what Rebel Rebel is about because I love anything and everything like serendipitous coincidence where the universe is. I mean, this is really what I think is that the universe is whatever you want to call it, someone, something bigger than all of us and just moving the parts around for us. Love it. So Ernesto and I met, like I said, while I was in India. And so this was in 20, I think 2015. And I was actually traveling in India by myself. I was thinking like, okay, really great. Like, finally, female solo trip, right? And, and I was also doing a yoga teacher training course. So afterwards, a few girlfriends and I, we decided to travel together. And we stopped at this one location, this one destination called Varkala, which is in Kerala, South India. And it's a beach town, a lot of foreigners, a lot of tourists. So we spent a few days there. And I think it was on our first day, we were at uh, an outdoor restaurant and another friend of mine was suggesting that I talk to the manager because she knew that I was interested in finding out some information about yoga and Ayurveda at, at, in the area. And she said, yeah, there's the manager. So I said, okay, and his back was turned towards me and I you know, walked over there and I said, hi, excuse me. And he turned around and looked at me and Lauren, I don't know, it was just, it's so funny to describe because it was just this look. It wasn't like love at first sight, but it was almost like, oh, there was something that just sparked for both of us. But, you know, we sort of just smiled and I asked my questions and, and that was it. Then the next day we bumped into each other on the boardwalk and, and had another nice, pleasant conversation. Then the third day, I was sitting at my hotel, which is fairly nearby to where I initially met him. And I was sitting out on my terrace on the front, on the front porch. And he walks up and 
I was looking at him. I said, what are you doing here? Because it was sort of set off of the, off of the natural path. And he said, oh, I'm visiting my friend who owns this hotel. And he said, is this where you're staying? And I said, yeah. So anyways, I invited him to sit down. We started talking. And then he invited me to, to dinner. Again, I was like, the girlfriends I was with, I was like, do I go? And they're like, why not? I was like, but why? I mean, I, I'm going to go back to the U.S. I'm living in Tanzania. He lives in, he's here in India, but he's hometown, his hometown is in Spain. It doesn't make any sense. And they said, one of my girlfriends, this is what was so interesting. She said, oh, I get it. She said, now I know why you're single. Ooh. And I said, yeah. And I said, why? Hesitantly. And she said, you're scared of love. And I re I just, I just, that statement alone, Lauren, I started to cry and I thought, damn, you hit a nerve that I did not even know existed. Wow. Now, how long did you know her before she just came out with this revelation? We just did a teacher training course. So we had just spent the month together, but teacher training courses for yoga is a month long. So and we were roommates. So it was, you know, we had an intense time together. And she's also a Reiki healer. So she was quite intuitive. But yeah, she hit the nail on the head. Wow. And so after some conversation, they encouraged me to go. And I really, I went to the dinner. I went on this date just with no expectations at all. And Ernesto's actually younger than I am. So How when much? I... <laughs> nine years. Oh, nine is nothing. Yeah, it's not that bad. Not at but our age at the, anyway. <laughs> but at the time, yes, exactly. But at the time I thought, oh, he's such a baby. <laughs> Again, things that we, we do to create obstacles for ourselves, right? right. Self-sabotage. So, so then afterwards we had a lovely time. Again, it wasn't like fireworks and it was just, it was very, very nice. So the next day we left and my friends and I, and he said, oh, before you leave, why don't we exchange numbers? Cause it would just be nice to keep in contact. And I thought, yeah, sure. And I thought, well, you know, sure that who's going to keep in contact, like look at our lives. Right. Right. So as I continued to travel, he was sending me messages that were so sweet, so romantic. And I literally, when I would get a message from him, I would stare at my phone and think, is this guy for real? <laughs> like I, I really had never experienced that before. And over the course of, I think maybe it was two weeks and traveling. And he said, Hey, if you ever, if your travels ever take you back in this direction, let me know. And I'm happy to comp your hotel stay because I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. And wow. he said, you know, so we talked out like maybe a week, two weeks, let's just play it by ear. And so I said, okay. And so of course my travels, you know, were going in one direction and I did a whole U-turn to come back to see him. And just the way that it worked out with timing and everything, it really wasn't, it really wasn't planned. It was just, I was planning on another day, but then the day that it actually happened was Christmas Eve, oh. 2015. And we have been together ever since. Wow. Okay. So let me see if I can get the recap. <laughs> you really weren't supposed to be in that little beach town. It was just a whim that your friends decided to stop there. Exactly. I had no plans. I was going to travel somewhere else, but I said, okay, if you guys want to go there, yeah, let's go. 
you were not looking for a relationship. You weren't even looking for a hookup. You were just on a self, on a self. Right. But this is what's, this is what's interesting is that for so long, I was looking right for the right one. And one of my, one of the girls who I did the teacher training course with, she asked me like, well, you know, are you looking for a, for a husband? And I said, you know what? I'm not, but I think he's, I think I'm going to find him here. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I, that actually even surprised me when I said it and she looked at me and I said, I said, yeah, I said, but if not, that's fine. I mean, I was really detached to the outcome. But there was something inside me that obviously spoke those words, but I didn't, I didn't cling on to it. And was it one of those conscious things or did it just pop out and then, then it became conscious? I think both. I think I was tired of always searching and looking and I really wanted this trip again. It was like my first female solo trip and I really just wanted to focus on me. But I also knew that I had been doing a lot of work on myself and a lot of personal growth work. So in a way, I think I was, I knew I was ready. Well, cool. Okay. And what took you to that teacher training in the first place? Ha! Huh. <laughs> I was really severely burned out. So at the time, just before that, I was living in Tanzania. And as you may remember, I have my my NGO working with girls in Tanzania. And I, as the organization grew, I I started it from from scratch, like from from nothing. But it grew so fast that. I was trying to do everything. I mean, we had such a very small crew and I wasn't even getting paid, but everything was for the girls, right? And that, that was my choice. I wanted that. However, you know, we don't, as, as many women can relate, we don't take care of ourselves. We put ourselves last, right? And that's what I did with these girls, with my Shakuru girls. And it got to a point where a friend said, I want you to see an intuitive doctor. Mm. Yeah. So we went and, um, also in Tanzania, she, she's actually this, this doctor is, um, from Austria. And after our session, she said a lot of things, but one thing she said in particular, she said, you know why you don't, you're not with someone. She said, you have no space for them. Mm, yeah. And she said, all of your attention is this organization. And she said, you don't even have space for yourself. And not that someone knows that, but when they see you, they feel that energetically. And she said, what you need to do to regain your energy is you need to leave Shakuru for a given amount of time. And she didn't specify, but she said at least a month and then just go somewhere. And, and I said, okay, so I went to India, but this, this was my first trip to India. And this was my opportunity to, to really regain like who I was. And I did a 40 day Panchakarma Ayurvedic cleanse. And you're going to really, have to explain that to me and whoever's listening. Cause those are, <laughs> those are some wacky words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll do that. And it was an incredible experience. So we'll get into that later. But it, it really helped shift my whole mindset of 
who I was, what I was doing, and how detached I had become, disconnected from my own self, my own heart. So after a few months being back in Tanzania, I decided to go back to India and then pursue my teacher training course in yoga, because that was also something that I had been doing for several years as a practitioner. And part of this Panchakarma detox or cleanse was doing yoga every day. And so I knew that that was something that I wanted to, to pursue. And when, after we finished the teacher training course, that's when we traveled to Varkala and I met Ernesto. Well, cool. Okay. So yeah, let's define those terms and then we'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, Panchakarma, gosh, I should know this, but it, it, there's really, I think it's five steps. And so it's, it, Ayurveda is like a 5,000 year old, um, system that is natural and it's what has been used in India to help detox all the toxins from our body emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And you do do some crazy things. There are different versions depending where you go. Obviously, India is more authentic. If you find um, a Panchakarma center or an Ayurvedic clinic that does Panchakarma, it may be more catered to Westerners. So for example, like the first day, I drank ghee. Do you know what ghee is? Have you ever mm -hmm. heard of it? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and they mixed ghee with these herbs that tasted horrendous. I mean, it was really bad, but they gave you a small amount and then they would increase it and then they would increase it. And by the, I think it was, so by day three, you should see the oil already, the ghee coming out of your skin. If they don't, that means you need more ghee. So they keep you on it until they start to see the oil coming out of your skin. And it was a really challenging, challenging first step. I mean, I almost like regurgitated all of it because it's really hard to put down. But what it, the, the whole purpose of it is that it draws the toxins to your digestive system. And then the next system is to get that out. But there's a lot of other different steps. And you did this for 40 days. I did it for 40 days, but the you can do the system. I think they recommend 21 days. And I was just loving it so much. And I, I had met people there that were doing the same thing. And you just get so close because you're talking about things you wouldn't talk about, you know, with anybody, but you're all going through the same thing, talking about, you know, your bathroom experiences, you're throwing up or everything under the sun. So you get really close and intimate with everyone. And, and some of these people are very, very dear to me still. So I was feeling so good that I didn't want to leave. And they basically had to push me out because they were like, <laughs> okay, we don't have any more rooms. Like we are booked. You need to leave. <laughs> but it really, I mean, it was just, I, I cannot recommend it more. So you're sitting in Tanzania thinking mm -hmm. I need to get away and do this sort of personal journey thing. How did you pick that one, that place? And did you know what you were getting into? Okay. Well, this is where it gets interesting. Talk about coincidences. At the time I was working for FedEx. Oh, yes. 
back in those corporate days. And I had been experiencing like really, I was on medical leave for almost like six months because I was getting hives all over my body. Hmm. And, and I'm saying this, and I think it's relevant because I think sometimes the universe sort of knocks us down in ways that it just needs to get our attention. Yeah. And that time of me on medical leave, I did a lot of personal growth work because I didn't know, I didn't, there wasn't anything I could do other than stay at home because these hive eruptions would just happen randomly every, anywhere on my body. So during this time, as I was doing personal growth work, I met a, who's now a very dear friend, also named Lauren. Lauren's in the Yes, they are. <laughs> and she invited me for coffee. She, we, as we were talking, she was telling me that she's going on this three-month pilgrimage to walk the Camino de Santiago. Oh, yeah, from, I know that. Yes, from France to Spain. And I'm listening, sitting there, thinking, God, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. I was just so inspired by her. And then I walked home afterwards I went into my apartment, I stood in my living room and I just looked around and thought, wait a minute, why can't I? I just have a job. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids. I'm not married. Why can't I? So I sat down in that moment, opened up my laptop and I typed in volunteer vacation. Yeah. Why volunteer vacation? That didn't even come up in our conversation. It was not something I was even thinking about, but sort of in the same way that when I told my friend, in India that, oh, I think I'm going to find him here. It was sort of the same thing. My, my hands literally just typed in volunteer vacation. Cool. And after I did, I, I started to look at different organizations and then looking, trying to align what organizations with the different countries. I knew I wanted to go to Africa and I saw a pop-up window. Yes, this was back in the day. <laughs> and it said scholarships, like a grant okay. is awarded for volunteer vacationers. And I said, oh, I'm going to get that. Oh, it was by, I think it was Travelocity or something. So I applied and I kept telling myself, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. And everyone's calling me crazy. Like, what are you doing? You're going to go to Africa. You're quitting your job. You were on medical leave, right? And over some time, eventually I got the phone call that I got awarded the grant. And within, gosh, maybe two weeks, left my job. I sublet my apartment and everything was shut down for me to travel to Tanzania. Okay. <laughs> I love it because that was the preamble. And then you're in Tanzania and you get told by that healer to take a break. Mm -hmm. And how did you then find this place in India? Like what made you look there for your break? And did you know what you were getting into with this cleanse and all that? Um, yes, I do remember because I was asking a few friends of mine in Tanzania about where to go. And as I was doing my own research, another friend had recommended this particular place and it just resonated. You know, like people can give you suggestions and then you just know when something feels right. Yeah. And, and that's how I chose to go to that particular place. And it really, it was probably one of the best decisions I have ever made for myself because I really, I was so scared of how far I had gone down this rabbit hole. 
-hmm. that I didn't even know who I was anymore. Okay. A little segue that no one can see, but Joanne, but I'm wearing Alice falling down the rabbit hole t-shirt. Whoa. I just flashed her. (laughs) Happy to be flashed by Lauren anytime. That's awesome. I mean, people do say rabbit hole a lot, but, but you know, actually I don't, which is so fun. I was just going to say, I usually don't say that term that, that, yeah, that phrase. Okay. So how did it feel when you realized you're going down the rabbit hole or were you kind of maybe already coming out by the time you recognized it? No, I definitely was not coming out. I just kept pushing and push. I was exhausted and I just kept pushing. When I say I don't even know who I was anymore, like you, you're, you're so loving because you always tell me like, (laughs) you love my smile and this and that. But if you saw me at this point of my life in Tanzania, you wouldn't even know who I was. Like I remember times I would go into the bank and sometimes it can get really challenging in there with bureaucracy and then because I'm a foreigner and some other issues, but there were days I would walk in and if I didn't get what I needed or I had to talk to someone else, I would literally blow up and start yelling. Yeah. And well, I mean, that happens. I don't think it happens to you very often. So I think that's what you're saying, but it happens to most people. So, yeah, but I think I I was blowing up in a way that was also, it was definitely uncharacteristic of me, but I think I was blowing up for something that was so minute. And well, I don't know. I I think COVID has really shown Mm. that that's what you have shit going on in your life, all this stuff, and you don't deal with it. You don't deal with it. You push it down, whatever. And you think you're fine. And then something little happens and you explode and it's way out of balance with what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. But you realize I'm not really reacting to that. That's just the last straw. And that's what I'm freaking out about everything all at once. Yeah, that is, that's true. It's because we're not paying attention to all that other stuff that we push down. Right. Yeah. And okay. So here's something that, that might tell you a different story of how crazy I was. I was in a restaurant with my assistant and we were really close and I'm sitting there. We're just waiting for the food and there's a napkin in front of me and I take the ketchup bottle and I start drawing with the ketchup bottle, a crazy face, like (laughs) crazy eyes, crazy mouth, everything. And he said, Oh my God. Joe. And he said, what are you doing? He took the ball away from me. And I, I wasn't even laughing. Like I was just focused. It was just, I I think this was just me drawing out what I was experiencing. And, and actually he was the one that forced me to go to India. He said, Joe, you've got to go. I mean, there was, there was, there was a glitch that was happening in terms of me going to India. And I was, and I got to the point where I thought, you know what, maybe I'm just not going to go. And he said, no, he said, you are going. He said, if I have to put you on that plane, you are going. Wow. God, he did. Okay. So I want to pick that apart, but let's take a quick break. Okay. Okay. We're back. So let's go back now that we've got like the premise of why you went to India. So Travelocity sends you on this grant to Tanzania. How long was that supposed to last? It was 5,000. So I think it paid for the majority of my 
volunteer trip because I went through an organization and so they charge for that. So I think it, I think it lasted me about three, four months. And while you're there, then you decide, I love it here. I want to start a, a charity to help these girls or what happens while you're there for the three, four months? Well, it really happened. Uh, this connection with that country happened the moment I landed in that country. So we landed, I think it was like 10 o'clock at night. And as I deplaned and stepped on the tarmac, it was pitch dark, but all I saw on the building, the airport building was Kilimanjaro, the letters Kilimanjaro. And when I saw that, I got emotional because I felt like I was home. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I was just by myself, but I just felt like, yeah, I wasn't scared of anything. I was just, oh, yeah, I'm back. I'm back. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I felt that places, but to be so far away and someplace that without this grant, you would have never gone to, right? Exactly. Exactly. But did they pick where you went or did you get to No, I had, I, I had the choice wherever okay. I wanted to go. I just had to write an essay about what my, my plan was. And when I was in Tanzania, I was, I was chosen to teach English, which I think is crazy because sometimes they just think that because you speak English, you can teach it, but that's for another. Oh girl, no, I, just a quick little sidebar. I took Japanese at Mesa College from a Japanese lady whose only qualification was that she spoke Japanese. So I hear you. Exactly. I mean, I felt, I mean, these were kids, but even then I just felt sorry for them. But um, <laughs> so, yes. So as I was teaching them, I had a lot of students that came from very poor families and they couldn't afford to go to secondary school. So I was teaching them in what's called a tuition school. So it's basically this school where they are learning how to study for the exam to get into secondary school since they already failed it. Gotcha. And I had a lot of my students ask me if I could pay for their education. Oh. And I thought, mm, how can I say yes to one when I want to help all of them? Right. So with the knowledge that a lot of these kids could not understand English, but they knew what statements to say, I thought, I don't want to just hand them over money, mm -hmm, right? right? That's not the way to do it. And so that's what started to get the ball rolling for me is how can I help them and many others rather than just giving money? And that's really what spurred on my NGO, Shakuru. And what's your involvement with Shakuru now? Well, right now we are, um, we're paused because as we, I think this was in, just before I went to India, there was a new, there was new leadership in the country. And so our aim was to teach girls how to become entrepreneurs so that they could pay for their own education. And fortunately, the educational landscape changed that made education free. Oh, good. And free in the sense that they did, they still, there were still some fees they had to pay, but it wasn't as significant as before. So then we were able to really hand off the knowledge to the girls and their families to continue on without 
our support. So, so we're still in contact with the girls, but we have not launched another, another group just because the educational landscape has changed and other things have been happening. But it's still open to, to look at the possibility of going into other countries. All in Africa, you think? In Africa, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And do you mind if we go back now? Nope, not at all. So let's talk about little Joanne. What was she like? Was she this type of entrepreneur, just change the world type of a person, even as a kid? Maybe I should ask you. (laughs) Did you see me as that? Because I definitely did not. Well, I didn't know you until, you know. Okay, so here's the thing. I have a terrible memory, which is part of the reason why I want to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, you too. Okay. And so part of the reason I like talking to people about how we know each other is I know that I have huge gaps that maybe you can fill in. Like right now, I can't remember ever talking to you in high school. I know. I don't know. I know that we have taught, but I can't even remember where that was. But I have to say, a lot of my high school memory was, it's like almost like a blank because I was really shy. Oh. I was following in my sister's footsteps, who is four years older than I am. And she was everything, like straight A's, prom queen, homecoming queen, Um, ASB held all the right positions. And then I came in my freshman year and I was not Joanne. I was, oh, you're Sharon's sister. Mm. And that really had me just kind of crawl inside because I knew I was not my sister, right? I couldn't meet up to her standards, nor did I want to. And so I think I became pretty quiet. I mean, I wasn't, we weren't pop ensemble together, right? Nope. No. Uh-uh. I cannot sing. I can barely dance. <laughs> well, but I, I can, can definitely either, not sing. <laughs> <laughs> or drama club. Uh, maybe drama club. I think it was drama club. I have a feeling I kind of see you in the auditorium. Like we're on stage together. Wow. Okay. It's just was, coming back to me. Well, good. That helps because I will defer to your memory. Like literally the first time I can remember seeing you and I go, Oh, you know, I know her and I want to talk to her is Long Beach. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I say to myself, that takes away three years of prehistory at Mount Carmel. <laughs> How can you start at Long Beach? And I, that's where I remember you. Yeah. You and Alice mainly. Oh, you know, yes. It would always brighten my day if I saw either of you on campus. Oh, God, I can't even, there's even some of my memories of us in Long Beach are like faded. Yeah. Well, you're not, but I'm I'm glad we have history. I'm glad between the both of us, we have history. (laughs) That's what matters. So as I told you at the beginning, I'm not recording the video, but I, for those who don't know you and know your megawatt smile, the fact (laughs) that you were hiding that and being shy and closed up and everything in high school just saddens me. Oh, (laughs) well, eventually it did come out. Yeah. And it's funny because I talk about how shy I am, but I was in, you know, pop ensemble. Here I am on stage. I'm in theater, drama. Um, So maybe that was also part of it, right? Hiding behind a character. Oh, yeah. Okay. But like I said, we 
we met in high school, but what were you like as a kid? As a kid, as I a would kid. say, I, I think I was the same because, I mean, I'm just trying to even remember my childhood. I mean, it was a, it was a typical childhood, you know, growing up in Rancho Pinasquitas. And if anything, I think I, I was still shy. I was, because I was the, the youngest. And so my parents let me do more, but my sister was the one that always got the recognition. Oh. Yeah. So it's like if aunts and uncles or friends would come to the house, you know, it's like, oh, Sharon, you know, it's like, oh, this is my youngest daughter, Joanne. And then Sharon, Sharon, I've heard so much about you. (laughs) (laughs) So I think from that, I just, I, I literally, and I know there was nothing ill will, you know, with, with all of that experience, but my interpretation of it forced me to dim my light because it was like, oh, well, I'm not Sharon. I'm not my sister. So it made you dim your light, but I think at least in the long term, it made you find your own ways to achieve. It did. It did. Because, you know, being an entrepreneur, starting your own NGO, and this is what's crazy. A friend of mine just reminded me this. She said, do you realize that when you started your NGO, that we were going into a recession? Like it was in 2008. Right. And, and, but I was so led with my heart that nothing mattered. Like all the naysayers, all the other NGOs closing their doors. Here I am fundraising for my new organization because I was so, I was so pulled by something so much bigger. Again, it's that, that universe, right? Just guiding the way. And I knew it was just like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just know. And that's when I think everything just started to fall away. And obviously living abroad allowed me to to release even more of that, you know, shadow that I was feeling behind my sister. And, and yeah, I mean, being, being a woman and running the, the NGO in Africa, which is male dominated, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. With, in terms of any kind of management. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had, had to step up and, because I'm Asian and I'm short, I look a lot younger. Yeah. So, so I really had to command a different presence than if I just kind of like, you know, sat there being quiet. So as you're talking, I'm picturing kind of like an onion, the peeling of the onion and how Mm. you're just blooming and growing and evolving. But going back to when you first heard about the grant, you're like, I'm going to get that. I mean, where does that come from? I'd say my mom. And not that my mom and I did a lot of talking, but it was what I was witnessing her doing. Like my mom, I mean, she was religious, but she was also spiritual. And so she she would go to church, but she would also have a lot of angels around. I mean, ceramic angels were all over the house. She would be listening to self-empowerment tapes and videos. So I knew my mom was always trying to to be better and to improve herself, but also to connect deeper to who she is. And she always had this belief, right? She always taught me that whatever I want, just, just, just focus on that. And it was her voice that 
I used when I saw that grant and I said, I'm going to get that. And I read like every line carefully to find out how the winner was going to be announced. And they said that we will call the winner, but everyone else will get an email. And I imagine that I literally visualized receiving that phone call. And when it came, I was like, yeah, I knew wow. it. So yeah. were you just doing these visualization techniques naturally or had someone taught you them? I think I was always interested in that. Like I had, I had been a yoga practitioner for so many years. And so I think part of that of just connecting because yoga is about building this union with yourself. And I think just as I would always build this connection with what I was feeling and what I wanted and having that all aligned, it, it, it was just a natural response of like, okay, this is what I need to do. I'm telling you this whole thing of when I started Shakuru, it was guided. It was guided. Like when I, when I sat down on that laptop and I typed in volunteer vacation, okay, that's interesting. Wasn't even thinking of that. And then I see the pop-up grant for volunteer vacationers. Oh, I'm going to get that. Right. I mean, everything was boom, 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 boom. And everyone is like, are you crazy? Yeah. I mean, basically everyone was saying, I'm not going to get that, but there was something, there was this this, I don't know how to explain it, like a power or something that any naysayer that came to me, it would just, it was almost like it didn't even touch me. It just ricocheted. Like it didn't, I didn't even feel it. I didn't even think like, oh, they might be right. Oh my God, what am I doing? It was just like, I stayed focused and I just kept going, going for it. And doors opened, like they opened from crazy places and connections that I never would have ever imagined. I love those. I yeah. love those. Do you I have know. one in mind that just jumps out at you? Um, oh my God. I mean, that was probably the biggest one. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously meeting Ernesto. Yeah. I, I mean, everything, I think everything, it was really around a lot of it happened with Shakuru. And I would say that sometimes we go in phases, right? So yeah. when, when that happens, you think like, oh, I'm all magic, right? <laughs> and then you think you don't have to practice it. And then you wonder what happened? Why isn't this all working? But that's the thing is that we have to keep our practice. We have to keep our connection going. What does that mean to you? How do you practice? How do you keep your connection going? Through my yoga practice, through my meditation. And when I say connect to myself, I mean, it's something I have to work on every day because we are taught to really put all of our attention externally, right? Rather than what's happening in my body, what am I feeling and allow that to guide us. So the deeper that I can allow myself to connect to who I am, to my truth, to what I'm feeling, that's when things just start to like unfold that's when things just start to open up. I mean, I, I guess I'll, I'll say this, that, you know, I'm starting, I, I've started a, a, a new business. And so with this new business, I'm offering natural solutions so that people can live more, a more mindful lifestyle. And 
you know, starting anything new, even though I've been an entrepreneur, it's still like, oh, it's something new. It's a new arena, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the fear comes up again. And so this is where it's like, I'm tapping back in to who I was when I started Shakuru. It's like, stop the naysayers, just do what I want to do. Like if I, if I feel led, that's, that's the path. Nothing else matters. And that's what I have to remember. And like, again, I remember that by doing a daily practice of just being still. So uh, how many times a day or how many minutes a day do you think that you meditate? Uh, it definitely varies. During this COVID, I, had, I decided to dedicate every Sunday to a day of silence. Oh, and how's so that grab Ernesto? Uh, he, he loves it. <laughs> He's like, great. I'm, I fully support you. <laughs> and during my days of silence, it's just off of all electronics. So I can read now with, with the de-escalation phases already implemented here in Spain, we're able to get out during specific hours. So it's just reconnecting a journal and really just allow myself to stop all the thinking, thinking, doing, 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 and just be. Guy that I have heard talk about meditation twice, mm. twice in this COVID period. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to start following him because awesome. when things like that happen, it's always the y universe yes. is telling me. And Three times. This, yeah. We're at two. I'm like, all right, fine. Dan Harris. Oh, yes. Yeah. I figured you know him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 10% happier. So that's his podcast that I'm going to start to listen to because I like how down to earth about everything he is. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of crappy like, information out there. A lot of stuff that people are in it for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. I'm not promising you Nirvana on earth, just 10% happier. Yeah. Just even to, you know, not even putting a percentage on it, but just feeling a shift. Yeah right? That's all we want. We just want to feel a little bit differently, but also at the same time, you know, we're also programmed to like, oh my God, if I'm feeling like this, I got it. I, I, I can't feel this. I want to feel something different. Right. And so that's why I also teach mindfulness because it's also about leaning into what we are feeling and what we are experiencing, because what we talked about earlier, that when we push that stuff down, it doesn't go anywhere. Definitely doesn't go anywhere good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the more that we can just allow for whatever is happening to be there, and then that actually opens up the space for us to move through it. So you mentioned that you find time to read for sure on Sundays. So that reminded me to ask you about what books or authors or have been influential on your journey. Oh my gosh. Um, well, there's a lot. I also listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm, you know, right now I'm reading this book that a friend had given me recently, and I have to look at the title, um, Mystery of the White Lion, which is interesting because it's about um, these white lions in Africa and it's about shamanism. So, wow. okay, so here, okay, so let me answer your question that you asked me before about what was a serendipitous or coincidental thing that happened. So I was in Thailand just recently in December and my roommate 
had given me a book that was about Africa, but it was after I had this experience that brought up a lot of emotions for me that I found out were connected to Africa and me uh. not being finished with what I started in Africa in whatever capacity that means. And she said, Oh my God. And she said, I brought this book. And she said, I didn't even know why she said, because I had already read it, oh. but I just felt like I needed to bring it. And now after hearing your story, I'm supposed to give it to you. Wow. Yeah. And that's what you're reading now. That's and what it's I'm a, reading now. Is it a novel? Um, no, it's actually a true story about this Western woman who um, had traveled to South Africa. And she had this really wild experience where they were out in, in the wild, in the bush at night, and they were surrounded by lions. And they literally thought they were going to be eaten alive. They were in the dark, so they, they had no idea like how you know, near to death they were. And this old wise woman with a baby happened to come to their rescue and essentially safeguarded them because she talked to the lions and she rescued them. And so this woman is a shaman. So it goes into the history of, of these white lions and why they're so mystical and the connection to shamanism. So it's just, it's just, it's so fascinating. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. And this was in Thailand. She just happened to bring this book. Yeah. And then you sat on it until now. Yes. Yeah. What do you think that means? Um, well, <laughs> I'm still working through that because there was a part of me that wasn't sure if we were going to do Shakuru 2.0, right? Mm -hmm. And so to your, here's, here's a, another answer to your question of another coincidence. Tanzania came up in Thailand, right? And I worked with another um, person there who also said like, yes, there's, there's something with, with Africa for you still. And then all of a sudden I started getting emails from people who were asking about Shakuru. And we've been like, we've been inactive for a few years now. And then I get an email from my former grant writer who propositions me and said, are you still interested in Shukuru, in doing Shakuru 2.0? And I was like, wow, what is going on? It was just like all, you know, like as I'm thinking just on my own, right? That maybe I'm going to, maybe this is, this chapter is closed and it might still be, but then all of a sudden I'm getting all the, you know, these, this communication from different people about Shakuru. Right. So it might be just clarity. It might be to help me get clear or maybe I'm really not done. Right. You know, it's all about being open, I think, and just seeing what comes your way. And that doesn't mean you have to jump at everything that comes your way, but it can't come your way if you're not open. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's just, it's fascinating how that happens. And when we really stay aware, right, when this happens, because there's, I think we have signs around us all the time. And sometimes we might just push it off and, you know, like, oh, that means nothing. Or, oh my God, that's so funny. But actually it means something. 
Right, right. I totally agree. And in the write-up about what the podcast is about, I put about when you're paying attention, how you have to be paying attention to these things. Most people, me included, can go around and miss so many things that by the time you notice the universe has been trying to tell you and now is like hitting you on the head going, come on. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think that happens to all of us. And we think, oh my God, you know, if an opportunity presents us, presents itself to us, and then we, we just don't even give it a second thought. And then sometime down the line, we think, oh my God, I had, you know, someone talked to me about that. Right. And we didn't think about, oh my God, this is something that I should be doing until after the fact, but whatever's meant for us always comes back around eventually. I agree. In fact, someone was telling me about how I said a long time ago that I would do a podcast. And I'm like, no, I didn't because I can't believe that I would forget that. Uh, yes. Right. And yeah. I'm like, no, I remember a bunch of people saying how addicted they are to podcasts. And I was like, yeah, that's nice. Oh, wow. I didn't really care. Mm -hmm. Like if someone sent me a link, I might mm -hmm. listen, but otherwise I just didn't care. And then all of a sudden I started listening and started caring That's, and it's weird. Yeah. 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 But I think also it's about timing when we're ready. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So speaking of timing, the word time, have you lived abroad longer than you've lived in the States now? <laughs> um, I don't think so. Not yet. I have traveled to Tanzania extensively for a number of years, but to be permanently out of the U.S., no, not, not, not yet. Do you think of yourself as an expat, as an American, or what? how do you view yourself after all this time? It depends who I'm talking to or who I'm with. I mean, when I was in Africa, when it, we were living in Tanzania, we all called ourselves expats. And here in Spain, I call myself an American. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Is that because you don't have a lot of expats there? Yeah. So yeah. I think, I guess, yeah, I've never really thought about it until I just verbalized that to you. But yeah, I don't have a lot of, I have a lot of friends that speak English, but I don't have friends, I don't have other uh, friends that are expats that are foreigners. Where you live, that little town less than 1% of the population would be expats? Uh, you would foreigners? think so. You would think so. But actually, it is full of foreigners, mostly North uh, European. Oh. And um, yeah. So I, I, the reason I say that is because it's actually very similar to uh, Rancho Bernardo for those that know that area. So it's very similar to a retirement community because a lot of the retire foreign retirees, they come here in this area. Gotcha. And so a lot of my friends are who I work with at the um, holistic clinic who are all Spanish. And are you teaching in English? I am. I, I teach primarily in English and I will teach in Spanish if it's really necessary. So, you know, they may come in and then, and ask, and, and they'll say, oh, I speak Spanish. And so I'll, I'll always start in Spanish. 
and then I'll ask them if they understand English. And they said, yes. And they, and I said, okay. I said, well, if you, it's okay, I will teach in English because your class will be much better. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, you just got to be honest. Right. And, and everyone, yeah, it's, it's fine. I mean, there are times where I am, I, I do have to do the class in, in Spanish and everybody has been incredibly forgiving. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Now, do you know Tagalog too? Um, Tagalog? I don't, although I think I probably will get more familiar because it's very similar to Spanish. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever been to the Philippines? I have, but when I was a really young girl, like I think I, the last time, I think I was maybe still in high school. Um, and I did go back one other time. I think I was in college or after college when my grandfather died, but that was a very quick trip. And a lot of my, a lot of my immediate family members have left there. We still have a lot of relatives, but a lot of like both sides of my parents, their parents have passed and a lot of my, and my very close cousins, they now live around the world, like in Canada, London. So your whole family are scattered. Yes. Yes. I always find it interesting how some families stay so tied to their original spot and other families just depart everywhere. Cause you know, I like to move and have the travel bug and sounds like you do too. Yeah. And I honestly didn't even know I had the travel bug. I mean, it just like before Tanzania, I didn't even really travel that much. It was just like, I was, again, I was just drawn. I knew I had to be in Africa. And of course, because I wasn't a big, well, I mean, I I guess I sort of was, it's not that I didn't travel, but my decision to do work in Tanzania flipped my whole family out. Oh, really? So I, yeah, I'm the, I'm the black sheep. So everyone, all my family members have stayed in on the West coast. Okay. My, my cousins are the ones that are sort of spread out They're you know, from, from the Philippines, but my immediate family they're yeah, they've all stayed on the West coast. And I mean, everyone was just like, what are you doing? And when are you coming home? <laughs> Now, your mom was that way because you made it sound like your mom was very go out and get them and listen to your spirit and all that stuff. And that seems like a a turn of of character. Yeah, she was until um, she realized it was leading me all the way over to the African continent. Mm. (laughs) And then she started to get really worried. Yeah. But I think that was just a a mother, motherly instinct to be so far because she had never been to Africa. And obviously sometimes the images that people see of that continent, they just, it scares people. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But there's also a lot of beauty and rawness that's there. I think people either love it or hate it. So going back to books that have shaped you. I know that people who are listening for good or for bad will not be able to not think about eat, pray, love Uh. (laughs) in conjunction with your life. Have you read it? What do you think of that book? I have read it and I also watched the movie and I have been told a number of times that my life resembles eat, pray, love a little bit different uh, order, but, but yeah. And, and really, I mean, when I read the book, 
I mean, yeah, I loved it, but I didn't travel thinking that, okay, that's going to be me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I fell in love with it, but I still was just on my own, my own journey and, and really open to whatever was going to happen. And, and the way it, and I think that's, that's when it happens. Like when, you know, when we're younger, when we were younger and, you know, when we weren't married before and people would always say like, stop looking, stop looking for the one. Right. And when it's, it's one of the hardest things to do because that's just what you want. But really that's what I find. Not only I found it with myself, but I, I found that also with others that when they stop looking, that's when it happens because the universe can't work through resistance. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's where the coincidence and the, the serendipity and magic happens is when we just say, oh, okay, I'll let you and I'll let you be in charge. Right. <laughs> I'm talking to whatever, whoever that is for you upstairs. Yeah. I totally agree that you have to just go on about your life and stop looking and only when you're not actively looking will something kind of fall in your lap and make sense. But it does seem contradictory that I'm saying we have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. But paying attention does not mean looking for. But it seems like it should be like, oh, I'm paying attention. I'm looking around, you know? Yeah. The the paying attention is more about being open and being observant. And I think where people might get confused is that paying attention can be misinterpreted as clinging, mm. attaching, Yeah, right? Because when we attach to a certain outcome, that's where the suffering happens, right? Because if we like- You're very I Zen Buddhist, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I am. <Yeah. laughs> But it is true, right? That, I mean, where, when we are really, we, when we try to make something happen, right, then, then we don't allow for flow. We don't allow for this being to, you know, or, or God, whatever it is for, for everyone to move the pieces because we say, no, we want it. I want it this way right now, right? Then there's no room. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get disappointed. Right. And frustrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that you have always, well, not always, because I don't remember, <laughs> but while I've been, we'll just say always, <laughs> while I've been conscious, you've always been an inspiration to me. And so I really enjoy oh. talking to you about all this stuff. Oh, thank you. And really, it's like, I know that neither of us have like the greatest memories, but I just feel this really beautiful, sweet connection with you. And I didn't mention it at the beginning, but really thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast. It's super exciting and I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Cause this is like, you know, we're just riffing. We're just, yeah. you know, chatting it up. Right. Exactly. This is fun. Well, thank you for your time. <laughs> thank you. All right. You. you take care. Well, that was Joanne Longanilla. I really enjoyed talking to her and I think that it just made me feel peaceful and like everything was all right in the world. After talking to Joanne, I couldn't decide on what to call this episode and honestly I'm still struggling with that. 
and she brought up the idea of something about being a nomad, which reminded me of an even better book than Eat, Pray, Love that I will link to, of course, the website and everywhere else. But this book is actually much more for Joanne, I think, than Eat, Pray, Love. It's called Tales of a Female Nomad, Living at Large in the World, and it's written by Rita Golden Gelman. I hope that Joanne reads it now based on this conversation. So thanks for tuning in and talk to you guys next week.